0: Welcome to Buy the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Paldoyan. All right, listeners, I want you to think about the last great meal that you had in a restaurant. Think about the design of that dining room. Were you seated close to the entrance or the kitchen or the bar? Now think about the furniture. What kind of table and chairs and light fixtures impacted the meal? And now think about the building itself. Was it a shiny new build out or a recontextualized piece of history? Basically, what was the vibe? On today's episode, I speak with friend of the pod, Levi Lamaster Le about spatial design in Houston. Levi has helped ideate the interiors of some of Houston's top hospitality venues, like Better Luck Tomorrow, Penny Quarter, and the upcoming sequel to Steakhouse Staple, Georgia James. We talk about changes in the Montrose neighborhood, the lack of architectural preservation in Houston, and the perfect cup of coffee. This was a really great episode that kind of helped me think more thoughtfully about structure on an architectural level, on an aesthetic level when it comes to the meals that we have. This is really fun for me because Levi served me one of my first cups of coffee in Houston uh, back when he worked at Blacksmith. Uh, now he lives in New Orleans, which is where he Zoomed me from. So we'll just jump right in.
1: All right, cool. I'm in a room with a lot
0: of stuff. So <laughs> doesn't look like you have fully unpacked. You've got some boxes to your
1: side there. Yeah, uh, we're not fully settling in here. We actually just signed a lease a couple doors down. um to that'll be more our space this is a mom-in-law's house so Mm -hmm. not trying to settle in too heavy here no (laughs) just a little stop gap to uh, a more permanent solution so what
0: part of town are you going to be moving to which i guess is also kind of where you are at the moment right
1: that's that's correct we are in garden district right now couple blocks off of a magazine. So
0: a fun area, lots of good restaurants there. Have you found any spots that you really like?
1: Uh, there is the, the best thing I've eaten so far, which is kind of funny. It's very um, not traditional local cuisine is um, Langua Madre. It's a newer spot, really like Mexico City, really, really restrained, really, really straightforward and honest you know, everything by hand and just like the most um, dialed in that you could possibly be on every single thing.
0: Yeah. So everything that was San Antonio, like Tex-Mex, the opposite of that, right? That's what you're experiencing right, right now.
1: Exactly. It's like a complete reduction of everything down to just the very, very restrained ingredients. You know, you'll have a dish that's, you know, the barbacoa is literally like barbacoa on a plate, a couple greens, and then tortillas on the side. I mean, and that's it. No sauce. I mean, like it's squeeze like, a lime, a little, uh, a little citrus. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty dressed for you, but I mean, it's just a true showing of just like that, that ingredient is just like taken to like the maximal level that it can possibly be. And it's just like, sheesh, just blew me away. Um, Hell yeah, That was a really, really cool meal we had right when we got here. I think they're still they're still kind of closed after the uh, the storm, unfortunately. But I'm very much looking forward to her reopening that space. It's really really impressive. Um,
0: you said she closed for the storm.
1: Uh, I think the the building was sustained some damages, unfortunately.
0: Dang! So, so at this point, we're we're just past the one month mark, right? It was the end right. of August when this all happened,
1: right? That's correct. Um, it was funny. I uh, was actually on a work trip back to Houston, kind of the like a couple of days before the storm hit, and uh, just ended up staying in Houston all, to kind of like all the way through the whole situation. But um,
0: literally riding out the storm.
1: Literally riding out the storm. But as it was just a kind of a funny timing Um, like when I left town it could have gone to Mexico or like Florida then all of a sudden I leave town the next day it's like direct impact and uh, yeah the power was out for a while took about two weeks to kind of get everything back to kind of 90 plus percent in the city other than that I think the city did fairly well just a lot of debris a lot of a lot of areas outside the city just took some real heavy damages of course though
0: and you've been going to new orleans for a really long time at this point right like i feel like as long as i've known you yeah that it's been like a second home
1: right my wife's family has always had a house here so we've usually i mean i think the the most we would come is probably close to like eight to ten times a year so we were popping down almost monthly for mm-hmm. a while which was uh which is fun um it's always
0: fun. drive or would you fly
1: Mostly drive, um, flown a couple times, just kind of depending. I don't mind the drive too much, to be honest. Um, it's only like four and a half, five hours. Go to
0: Waffle House, go to Bucky's. I mean, what's your go-to uh, stopping off point? What would...
1: Honestly, it just kind of, if we have the dogs, we just find somewhere that's got a space that we can kind of like let them out and like let them run around a little bit. But um, last time we actually got into a traffic situation when we are coming back for the first time after the storm we got into a little like heavy traffic situation, ended up just getting like very tired by the time we got to Lafayette. We actually stopped at a restaurant called Bestall. That is a newer restaurant done. Uh, so I know of it because I work with a uh, an interior designer who did that space before I started working with her named Amanda Medzker. Um, But she did this really, really pretty build out at this um, spot, kind of like downtown Lafayette. And it's gorgeous. It's really dim, very kind of like sensual and like, Seductive kind of build out. It's really pretty. A lot of curves. A lot of like lighting. It's really so. I, we stopped in and, and we had the dogs with us, and they they kindly served us amazing. Food, uh, kind of like right in front of right in front of the restaurant. They have a couple tables, so we could kind of keep an eye on the dogs in the car and do a, like a quick little stop for um like a Campari soda and like a couple dishes and it was great
0: mid road trip Campari soda sounds like the perfect beverage <laughs> it,
1: it was perfect especially after being in like an hour of almost dead stop traffic I was like all right I, I can't drink and drive but I need a, little, <laughs> need a little something to keep me going here you know
0: a little something something
1: yeah so that was a that's my that's my official um road trip stopover recommendation for anyone who wants to get really uh, luxurious on the way
0: and didn't Amanda end up working for a fair bit of time for Ralph Smith? You know,
1: I don't know that, actually. I'm not, not sure. Right now, her big workload is with Chris Shepard. Mm. She did his house and then has transitioned over to doing a couple of restaurants, one of which I'm helping out. I'm helping out with doing the uh, the interior design work for the Georgia James relocation.
0: Relocation? So I know that they opened a new location in... Um downtown, the tavern, but are they relocating the current one?
1: Yes. So they they have announced this. They are leaving the Westheimer building, Hay Merchant as well. And they have decided to relocate the Georgia James concept to the Regency Square development on Dunlavy and Dallas
0: oh dang that big construction that's been going on right
1: correct correct so uh Chris is taking over a fairly large building there that's that's still under construction it'll be a brand new build out which will be very exciting and then uh he I think the original plan was to do a different concept but when I guess some some landlord stuff started coming up anyway but you know kind of how that goes and then uh they just decided to just kind of relocate and and start So it's a it's a pretty exciting project.
0: No, it sounds sick. So is Hay Merchant staying put or that's uh, departing as well?
1: The, I think that Hay Merchant is just going to be sort of the doors are going to close on the concept as a whole.
0: Dang, RIP.
1: Yeah, honestly, it's uh, I think we we'll, I think they're taking some aspects of it into like kind of like the tavern esque style yeah. stuff with the burger and you know I think they're kind of just reducing it back down to something that's a little bit more focused. I think the focus of Hay Merchant has been sort of maybe fluid over the last few years. I think for sure. Yeah.
0: Especially after, um, underbelly closed, then that dynamic between those two sides really changed. Exactly. Um, but that was like the first bar I ever went to was a hey merchant. That was the first bar in Houston when I first moved to the city.
1: Honestly, I, I, I mean, Haymerchant merchant was a very much a staple for, I, I feel like a very long time, uh, many, like, I mean now years ago, but I mean, Many, many nights spent there, which um, I just don't think it has uh, as much of a and I don't want to speak for anybody in in that sort of group, but I just don't think it has a very defined place anymore. I think that they kind of know what what works about it. And they've kind of like taken that and and kind of freshened it back up for their their new round of concepts, which is exciting.
0: But that intersection there at um, what was it right there at Westheimer? And um, Wah, that mm-hmm. was like the go-to intersection because you had blacksmith, you had oh yeah Hay Merchant, you had Underbelly. Like I felt like that was kind of the nucleus of Montrose where everything else kind of spread out.
1: Oh, absolutely. And
0: you worked at blacksmith for a super long time, right?
1: Right. I mean, that, that was pretty much where I sort of existed um, completely for, for probably about two years, you know, right around there. Um, and doing like staff meetings and stuff at at Haymarch and Underbelly and stuff like that. So and of course like every all the staff members coming in to get coffee and stuff like that. So it'll be a definitely a uh, an interesting change to that that corner. And I think sadly, in my mind, that whole strip has just been very poorly sort of developed in in just kind of seeing the concepts that have gone in. It's it's been a little like sad to, to kind of watch the like there's no one really focused coming in there doing it like I mean the acne oyster house, you know, the voodoo donuts and stuff like that. just kind of more chain stuff, whereas it used to be just so local and so focused in on on kind of like a one-off concept or. Something that's part of a bigger group, maybe, you know. No.
0: Big shout out to copy.com, a local institution, yeah. <laughs> right?
1: Absolutely. I hope they never go anywhere. <laughs> that is the uh, they've come in clutch with me so many times.
0: We used to go there to pick up menu paper whenever like there was an issue. If we were running low on something, we'd go there and grab a I think our paper was called Desert Storm, which is like a weird name for um like the cardstock or whatever menu paper we used, but they would always sometimes they, they would always give us the wrong paper. They'd mix up camarada and Cultivare. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, this is the paper you use. We're like, no, this is nothing close to what we have. So <laughs> they would always mix that shit up. But um. No, I mean, I'm trying to think of the places. There's um, Mala, Sichuan, that's still there, yep. right? Um, but that's pretty yep. much it. Now there's a sweet green at that intersection.
1: Um, there's a sweet green, which, I mean, big shout to sweet green. That's a that's a welcome addition in my mind. Hmm. They, they obviously do a nice build out that's pretty to look at. So I enjoy that. And then, yeah, so they got Mala right there. And then, of course, Anvil. I think it's still Tunkat Sparrow, probably. I don't know if there's any. I think I've heard little whisperings that it might. Tongue cut might go back downtown.
0: Really? Um, well, that was the space that you worked on, right? Was the original penny quarter space correct. that became the tongue cut space? Do you want to walk through kind of what that build out was like?
1: Yeah, it was a it was kind of a crazy project. If, if I'm sure some some people are aware of kind of uh, the etro space as it used to be was uh, just quite. Uh, uh, historic, I guess is one way to put it very, uh, DIY and kind of real Mm -hmm. dirty, um, was kind of how it, it kind of had that nice vibe, just really bizarre. It's, it's the mezzanine we think was largely constructed sort of on the fly. Uh, there was a lot of weird stuff. It's a very tricky space. It was very, it was a very big conversation trying to get the bar placement. I mean, Bobby really had his idea down you know, for, for where the bar needed to go, but it was still very tricky to fit a lot of service elements in a space so small with this like sort of open mezzanine that's kind of hanging over everything and, and kind of, and it's, it's low underneath the mezzanine and it's also low from the mezzanine to the roof deck. So trying to like really create this airy, like warm space was tricky in a, in a place where you'd normally. So to
0: zoom out just a little bit, right. It was like a very kind of like, weird nightclub vibe
1: and yeah basically exactly that taking a very dingy diy kind of like nightclub that really i mean you just kind of go get lone stars in you know Mm -hmm. and um taking that into something that's a little bit higher end and and but still trying to be honest to the space of course and trying to be like very contextual to the neighborhood and the building
0: when you say honest to the space like can you expand on that
1: yeah i think the thing is is like you know it's easy to take these kind of space, I think anything you do, right. And, and Houston just terrible at preserving anything. And I think it's tricky. It's very tricky for, you know, to preserve these, these more sort of idiosyncratic spaces without just demoing it all and making it something like really straightforward. And I think that uh, the clients on, on that project really wanted to keep some of that feeling of Etro and something that's a little bit more unique. And I think that we did too. We really wanted the opportunity to sort of like be in a position where we had to work around and design around these kind of like weird sort of architectural elements and figure out how to take something as it kind of currently is and staying sort of in the realm of the, the context of the building and the space and then taking that into a, into a direction that, that is like relevant, and new and lighter and a little bit more warm and inviting. And I think that, you know, for, in my opinion, I think we did a a nice, like, job on that. I think there's a lot of that about that space. It's just really pretty. And there's, you know, some big windows and stuff like that. But there's still the half mezzanine. And there's still, like, remnants that you can see if you were familiar with Etro. It's just, even if you were familiar with Etro, I think you'd still walk into that space and be like, oh, this is so crazy to, like, see it. I mean, Etro had two massive skylights that you'd never even know were there because it was only open at night and stuff yeah. like that so it's like bringing that daytime sort of element back into it into a space can already change the context and i think that was part of the interesting nature of that project
0: i wonder if you hold a black light up in that space what it does
1: uh, well, before we got there, it would uh, there would be quite a quite a uh, <laughs> display on the walls and ceilings, I'm sure. But now we we have you know sanitized and uh, <laughs> given everything a nice fresh coat of paint for sure.
0: What do you think of the change since it became Tongue Cut Sparrow from the Penny Quarter space? Like, what elements did they consult you guys at all, you and Sean, about like that transition in terms of the interior, or did they do that all on their own?
1: No, they actually. They kind of went ahead and did that. I think it was a little bit more of a um, mid-pandemic sort of on-the-fly thing. <laughs> However, there was not that much that changed about the, the space as a whole. I think that they added a couple things, like a little bit more utility items, a couple additional shelves. Once they removed the coffee program, um, yeah. just left a kind of a gap that needed maybe some more storage. And then they they rearranged some of the furniture. We had some custom furniture made for the space and they've sort of reconfigured it to kind of a more conducive thing for the cocktail program that's not going to be so much of like the coffee element in the morning. So I think that they didn't really need a lot of help on doing that. I think there was a lot of pieces from Tongue Cut downtown that just made it back in the space, all the lamps and stuff like that. And I think from that point, it, it it was interesting for me to see the first time I went back in there Kind of the flexibility of that space and being able to kind of like, they were able to adapt it pretty quickly, I think, into something that took a very different sort of aesthetic cue. And I think that you could probably tie that back into the original sort of like Japanese, you know, reference point that they gave us very early on in the project and then kind of what Tunkut Sparrow is in actuality. And I think that those are sort of, while the color palette and some of the tonality and stuff like that might be a little different, that and especially in the nighttime context, it's it, it works pretty well together, which is which is always nice to see. Oh, yeah. It's nice to be able to provide a space and a build out to a restaurant that has flexibility. It, that's not in some sort of this just really rigid thing that's you know, just it, I think spaces have to be able to breathe and they have to be able to kind of like move around. And it's always going to be a little bit in flux, you know, and you have to prepare for that when you're building out a restaurant or a bar.
0: Well, especially in a city like Houston where there's no shortage of space in a lot of situations right size constraints aren't the issue like they are in New York yeah
1: no and that that is the interesting interesting thing yeah the, the space and just how everything's huge and um I think that that coming out of kind of a lot of time to think uh last year about sort of like spatial design and especially restaurants and stuff like that in and kind of what the city has, what the city's missing. I feel like a lot of it is very interesting to see. I think a lot of people want these smaller spaces. And I think that like, if you're looking at other cities in, in, in my mind, Houston's really bad about building out something that's really small. And a lot of times I look at, you know, like New Orleans or Austin or these places where maybe real estate's a little bit more expensive or just kind of like harder to manage, or you might not have the ability to get some massive square footage. And I think it's really interesting, the difference in design from all the, like those two different cities versus Houston, which they're all kind of close. And I think they all kind of like, are very aware of each other and what everyone's doing. I think that in Houston, it's it's very unfortunate the way that it's being developed, in my opinion, because it's all very focused on size or, as being part of a bigger development as a whole and when you're approaching development like that it can be very hard to carve out spaces that are very small and intimate you know that create a lot of that that sort of play when you have a big open space it really can be you can lose a lot of feeling um as a guest and um And I think that that is something that's important.
0: But I do wonder sometimes, like you were saying that like smaller spaces, you know, can be really desirable. But after COVID, I feel like everyone's so used to having, you know, a a lot of space. Like shout out a friend of the pod, Chris Wynn. But he was talking about not knowing when community tables are ever going to come back. Like when do you want to sit shoulder to shoulder to a stranger? So. I I do think like, I agree with you that small spaces can breed a lot of like creativity and and are really exciting that they can be really dynamic. But at at the same time, I don't know what people want in your conversations with like Chris for the new space. Like, does he want a lot of space, other, other build outs that you're working on right now? Like, how has that kind of played a role?
1: Right. So I think with Chris and in sort of like the restaurant that I'm working on in particular, I think that the the biggest thing is kind of going back to what I said originally is just, they, they want a lot of flexibility. Yeah. And, uh, th- this, this restaurant will be a very large square footage. It'll be a very big restaurant. I think one of the things that we are thinking about from the interior design side of it is, okay, we know it's going to be this big space that needs a lot of flexibility that cannot really have a lot of, um, things that are really permanent and immovable. So knowing that then how do you start going about creating more intimacy and creating a space that, you know, has those delineations while still providing the client and the, and the staff, the ability to uh, perform any sort of, you know, layout that they need or accommodate a really like a big buyout or stuff like that is, is really where we, that's a big conversation on this, this particular project and that that's that's kind of an ever-shifting thing but i think that you know in, in but i mean that's kind of the steakhouse vibe in general they're always going to be a little bit bigger they're going to be a little bit you know more grand and less intimate typically you know depending on where you go um but i think that like like if you're looking at like a papa's restaurant you know i think that they there is a lot of intimacy depending on where you sit because while that's not a massive square footage there's a lot that's that's kind of always in the way of like you getting a big sense of the space and they I mean they're doing a different sort of like business so they don't need as much like buyout flexibility and you know this kind of like type of thing but I think it's still interesting to always kind of think about like a papa's dining experience and kind of being able to post up in a booth that's really dim you know and have a really like three hour sort of really easygoing sort of, you know, dining experience is something that I think is part of the quintessential thing about eating in a steakhouse. And so even though this is a slightly different concept, I still want to approach it from that, that kind of perspective of making sure that from like a guest perspective, they still feel like it's just as luxurious, even though the space needs to be flexible.
0: Yeah. They don't want to be reminded of the you know, whatever it is, 250 other covers going on around them. They want to feel like it's just them in that restaurant. Correct. No, I was just going to say you were talking earlier about the way Montrose has really changed, especially over the past like handful of years. But when you think back to like when you first got started in all of this, those first couple of years that you were working, you know, at Blacksmith or even before that, you know, what was the city like then? What was Montrose specifically like?
1: Right. I I mean, and I'm not, you know, like, here, preaching about the merits mm-hmm. of you know the the 70s and 80s or anything like that obviously and, and kind of going back that far you don't want
0: people to get off your lawn you're not um yeah
1: <laughs> no I'm not I'm not trying to be you know uh you know way way deep dive in it but I think yeah you're right over just just a couple a couple years it's really started to sort of change so much um and it'll be interesting to see I just in my opinion, it's it. Houston's very difficult because it's everybody's sort of doing a lot of things all at the same time, but never in the same direction. And you know, for example, you know, right across from Blacksmith, you have you know all that all that development is gone. Those are going to be like two. The Kroger's gone. The Specs and Half Price is gone. You're going to have two massive developments, two big steel, you know, and glass towers go up in the middle of Montrose, right across the street from, you know, tiny little blacksmith. Is that going to be uh, a residential
0: or a mixed it, use or like, what's the game it'll plan? Be,
1: it'll be residential with mixed use below, you know, so they'll mm-hmm. kind of, I think that's what I've heard. That's kind of like the word on the street. they will be sort of like a, you know, a winding sort of shopping, dining situation on the first couple floors. And then it'll go up from there, obviously residential. Yeah. Um, it's one of those, it's this really, you know, it's a block in a stretch of street that's very close to a lot of people's hearts. And it would just, it's kind of one of those things that's like a little disappointing to see the way that it's sort of been um, like the direction that it's gone as, is the last couple of years has just been okay with some, you know, chain stuff here and there. And you're just like, this really wasn't the point of this, this area, you know, is to bring in and it's like, don't get me wrong. They're like blue chip chains, right? You've got Shake Shack, you've got Sweet Green, you know like that that that's all you know out of everything you know like this the shake shack you know replacing like the burger king
0: yeah not you the know worst like thing i guess that's
1: an upgrade right sure but it's still funny just to like think about that street and and just knowing i guess it's not even that i'm like very nostalgic about the past it's just that i was optimistic for the future maybe mm. um and seeing what could possibly be cuz it's really one of the only like little walkable areas that we've got in Houston too you know you could walk from like Blacksmith to Anvil which i've done you know hundreds of times and did then, you walk
0: or did you stumble i mean i don't yeah. know
1: well walk there stumble back yeah there you go yeah so i think that, that that's an interesting thing you got i mean you got a great development the goodnight hospitality group down the street so i mean you could you can walk for a while and there's a lot to do And that's really cool. Of course, you can walk from there to Poison Girl, you know, a place that's near and dear to my heart. But it's it's really just the optimism I had. I was like, okay, well, maybe like there will be like a like a handful of concepts to come in and take over some of these spaces that will really add, you know, just like like those kind of like establishments have added. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, but you can't win them all, you know, like you can't there can't be a good night group like uh, all the way down. Westheimer or so far, so far, you know, like down. So it's it's kind of interesting. How
0: many tattoos have you gotten on Westheimer?
1: Honestly, just one. It is of a martini glass. <laughs> Love it. But uh, I that that was a post um, that was a post, Rosie Cannonball stop off before going to Poison Girl. So that was quite a quite an evening.
0: For listeners at home that aren't familiar, you also got married at a Goodnight Hospitality concept at March. I was hoping that you were going to say you got that tattoo like in between the ceremony and the reception or something like that. <laughs> That's what I was hoping for.
1: We, we actually, we did go to Poison Girl between the uh, ceremony and the reception. We did uh, make a quick stop to get a couple Poison Girl shots. Hell yeah. To keep the, the mood going. We, we had some champagne and some caviar after the ceremony. We had a gin and soda and some shots at poison girl and then returned for our beautiful dinner that the March team put together for us. That's we amazing. Tried. What wine did you guys drink for your dinner? Oh, we had a, uh, quite a smattering of, uh, different things. We, we had a couple, we, I, I pretty much kept it only France, kept it mostly burgundy. Um, Justin, uh, brought Justin and Lauren brought like six bottles from the PSA seller. Uh, amazing. PSA. And then we had a, we had a 92 Rioja and then we had a, we actually had a 1993, which this was a weird one for me, a close to bone rosé. Oh, hell yeah. Which was uh, kind of weird to taste at such an age. Like I wasn't really like used to that, but we saw it kind of in the cellar. That's a birth year for us. So we decided to open that one up and yeah, it was a great night. And other than that, just a lot of burgundy.
0: I've slowly been collecting uh, vintages of close de Rose with the plan of someday doing like a vertical tasting of that particular one. Cause it's just such a fun wine for listeners at home that aren't super familiar. Right. It's this like crazy esoteric variety Tiburon and it's aged in these like hundred year old fooders under floor. Like it's an insane Rose, like so delicious. Right. So right. super fun, super savory. Yeah, it was
1: very interesting tasting something like that old of that style of a rose. And it, it stood up to me. I I thought it was great.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, you were talking about like the Montrose neighborhood. Is there is there another neighborhood of Houston that either you think is really killing it in terms of kind of like I don't know, propelling things forward either aesthetically or pres- from a preservation standpoint? Like, I don't know whether it's, you know, downtown, east downtown, or parts of the Heights. Is there anything that the city is doing well in that regard, or at least interests you?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think the east side sort of stuff has been so back and forth like it's it's like as long as i've been here it's been like okay it's it's going to take off it's going to take off it's going to take off and it's like you'll have one concept come in like like nancy's all right all right this is this is the you know this is going to be it, it's going to explode and then you know slowly then there there's been some definite you know there's new there's new bars over there there's like how to survive at land and sea there's night shift there's you know um the nancy's concepts and and all of that and uh tiny champions It's just still like, it's so disparate Mm -hmm. and that area is so big and it can be so many different areas. Like, I I think it's funny because like a lot of people say, oh, it's on the east side or it's like Edo or whatever. But like, I I studio really far, um, like Sean and I have a studio very far down Harrisburg. And so it's funny getting to know that area a little bit more. Like, it's not just the east side of downtown. Like, there's all sorts of areas in there. And if you have a concept in one, just because you have a concept in the other, doesn't really, it doesn't mean the whole like massive area is is like gonna pop off all of a sudden. Now property values obviously are going up and everything. I think it's still, it's still be it's still the classic case of like Houston development where it's being developed rapidly from a lot of different ways and a lot and nobody's really got a big sort of idea. Now you hear this and you hear that and like. You know, like there, there's a lot of people doing a lot to really sort of like bring that that whole area up and trying to get everybody on the same page. And I'm really hoping they're very successful in that because I think there's a great opportunity. I The only thing is, though, is just like a, anything else. It's just got to be sensitive to the neighborhood and the people who, who live there.
0: What's that really big development that's supposedly going to go in like along the bayou? It's where they allegedly wanted Amazon to move into. It's this huge swath of land i
1: know which exactly what you're talking about um i just the name escapes me right now Um, they basically want it to be
0: like a city center situation
1: yeah so they're putting a huge sort of play over there which is i mean i and that's the thing it's like i think that's the other issue with a lot of these types of like mindsets is that it's like let's just do a big x right like let's put a city center on the east side and you're (laughs) like okay, but what are we doing this for? In my mind, it's like, who, who is really going to be utilizing the space? Is it for the people who live here or is it to kind of bring people from like out of the loop in? You know, maybe it's a little easier for people traveling. Maybe it's a little bit more like of a destination for people who might be like visiting Houston. So maybe that that, that has a utility and that has um, relevance. But because Houston, I I think Houston can be, for the food and and beverage scene, very hard to get right on your first try in Houston. If you've never, if you don't know anybody, let's say you're in town for three days, you're not friends with some, you know, industry insider. I feel like you're you're probably not going to hit it. Like you're probably going to walk away with a pretty average time and you're not going to think very highly of the city. I think that happens a lot.
0: Well, for the listeners at home that aren't super familiar with the city, like what would be your like top five?
1: Well, I mean, first things first, blacksmith, obviously <laughs> coffee, breakfast, like can't, can't, can't recommend it. Any, any, anyone else. Um, so, I mean, that's like number one, I think lunch is very hard in Houston. That's, that's a tricky one. I'd say if I were bringing somebody in, I'd, I'd probably go maybe do, you know, a morning at blacksmith, Maybe a little later in the day, I'd take them somewhere like Tierra Caliente or Guadalapana.
0: I might throw in like a Tianan as
1: well. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Vietnamese or, you know, tacos or any of that stuff. I would say like Cafe TH, but they have closed, would be like my other pick on that kind of like down home front. And then, you know, maybe an afternoon at Montrose Cheese and Wine, you know, a little like late afternoon.
0: A little pet net on the patio. Yeah.
1: I mean, if it's nice out, sure, that'd be great. Um, Done that many, many times. And then you've got Rosie's right next door, which is fabulous. I mean, that's a, that's a kind of easy one too. And then from there, you just, you know, in my mind, in the night of poison girl, that's a perfect day in my book, you know, like, I don't think there's not much more I'm looking for out of uh, like maybe a weekend day in Houston that I'm just kind of taking it easy and then throwing the Manil in the middle somewhere and uh you know have a great day like i think that like that's and it's all right there i think that if you're traveling to houston i mean you literally it's like all right there and i think that that's what's like great about that area is that you can do stuff like that and you can have a lot of like different flavor you can have a lot of different style of food and experience and even service not to say like any is better than the other. I think you get great service. At, yeah. You know, all the establishments mentioned, but you know, the service at Guadalapana is going to be a little different than the service at like Rosie, but it's like, they're both great. You know, they're both amazing.
0: Do you feel like your connection to the city or your perception of Houston's changed at all since moving to New Orleans?
1: I do. I It's it's like funny um, because I've been thinking about that a lot, actually, of just like kind of in the same nature of this conversation. It's like, you know, now that I'm not sort of in the city day in day out but still visit fairly frequently for work it's kind of interesting kind of thinking about what I miss and like kind of what I'm craving the and, and most of it's not really so much food related it's a little bit more of just like the the feeling you know like of familiarity and that type of thing is really much more what I'm sort of looking for and just kind of being in in the space, you know, I think that like kind of going back to like just a couple of places mentioned, so we don't like just overwhelm, but like eating at Guadalapana when I was back was just like, it felt really good. You know, it felt good to be in this like little cafe, you know, that's not trying to be really anything that it's not. It's just this like staple neighborhood classic.
0: What do you get when you go?
1: Machaca Norteña most of the time is kind of what I get, which is kind of like the shredded beef and like eggs. And it's... I mean, it's a perfect dish.
0: You pair that with a
1: Vampiro? You get a little layered juice drink? Or what's the vibe? Normally, just... Just, uh, just coffee really easy. Uh, I mean, the vampire is obviously fabulous. I don't really get it that much. That's
0: wild that you're ordering coffee there after hyping up, you know, blacksmith, you know, you can, you can go, this man contains multitudes. He's getting drip coffee at Guadalupana and he's getting a single origin. You're good chef over at blacksmith. I love it. You love to see it.
1: You have, you, you have to, you have to keep it, you know, varied because uh, I think there's something so special about good diner coffee. A good coffee where it's just it's like coffee for coffee's sake. I think it's like perfect. So you I mean, don't have
0: one platonic ideal of coffee. You've got you've got multiples. Our man's got multiples. I love it.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that you can you can have instant coffee that'll be like a fabulous cup of coffee if it's in the right context.
0: What context exists for instant coffee other than like the deepest, darkest layer of hell? Like I I please explain to me.
1: <laughs> I think for me, it's kind of like uh, if I'm in in a in a location where coffee is just going to be like tricky if I was out on some beautiful property and in West Texas, or something like that, and I'm having instant coffee, and I'm l- overlooking a beautiful scene of a uh, landscape. I think it's it's a great cup of coffee.
0: You're at the Prada in Marfa, sipping your instant coffee.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm at I'm at Prada Marfa, and uh, sadly the uh, like I could I just could not get a shot of espresso, <laughs>
0: um,
1: unfortunately. So I had a little bit of Nescafe, and it's great, you know, the real mud. Um, but I, I think that like it it, it can be a lot of different things. It can be a lot of different things. And I think context is just important. Now, if I'm paying premium third wave coffee shop money, I'm hoping that you like have dialed in and you're like brewing something great. But I I mean, honestly, even, even then, that's not a guarantee. And I try not to be so, you know, on the... The pursuit. I think coffee is uh, in, in kind of difference to wine. Maybe it's a little similar. I think that like coffee can be, you know, it can be funny. And I think it's it, it's kind of a harder product to really make excellent than a lot of people kind of know. And um, I mean, you can, you need to redial in if, you know, the humidity level spikes. You know, I mean, it, it, it is very finicky. It's more finicky than I think we all think about. So I think it's, it's one of those situations, even if you're at a great establishment, some, you know, really cool, you know, that everyone, you know, like got their like massive equipment budget and all that stuff. I mean, you could still potentially get served something that's not going to blow your mind. And, you know, it's not the best feeling in the world, but it's like, it, that's kind of the nature of the product. But again, it's just like trying to maintain that level of quality always, you know, and that's the establishments that you go back to as the places that, you know, are obviously just doing their very best to do that think that's kind of like the most important part and that's why I just like I don't have a huge definition of what coffee can be typically it, I think it can be just so many different things and in my mind it's like I mean obviously a, a great shot of espresso and a, and a drip coffee or an iced coffee is like all I'm really looking for and if they if they are not super badly is- extracted that's great and in, on top of that if they if they have an amazing flavor profile that that's really coming through then it's a great day. Then like I'm like, okay, cool. Then fabulous. Congratulations, everybody. You did it.
0: (laughs) Love it. Love it. You had um, given me your kind of like top five of sorts, go-to places to like eat and drink in the city. But going back to like the way you spoke so fondly of texture of a place like etro and what it became like are there five places that are like your go-tos from an architectural standpoint like buildings that you think have retained their history really well are are there five kind of like spaces within the city that 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 are kind of like your sweet spot
1: hmm that's an interesting question i think that like it's interesting to think about like sort of like longevity longevity in houston can just be such a short-term thing double digits Um, if it's after 10 years yeah if it's after 10 years it's absolutely remarkable (laughs) um no i think that like you know i think that like there's a couple concepts that are like lingering around that that have been there for like a really long time that that always kind of like surprise me like every like every now and again for example like brazil i always forget about how long that concept has been there which is like a long time especially on that street and it was just like how is this still and then I'm. I haven't been back recently, but I've. I've been hearing that it's. It's fabulous right now. Like there's like a new chef. Everyone's like, oh no, Brazil's like fabulous, and you're like, this place has been around like twenty plus years. I. I, I think it's like twenty five, maybe. I could be mm-hmm. wrong, but th- I mean that's cool. That's cool to see something like that. I think from just the building perspective, I mean w- one of my favorites for years was just public services. You know that. I mean being in that space was so remarkable that was a space that was truly like singular especially from a historical standpoint i mean for
0: people that aren't familiar with it do you want to explain it yeah here?
1: so it's it's um this place that it's in the historically preserved cotton exchange building i believe it has a historic preservation status but i mean massive ceilings all this hand painted detailing i mean super sort of victorian very opulent space it was a nightclub before Justin took it over but it's sort of which I always kind of think about as like kind of funny (laughs) yeah I mean the it ran for uh it did not hit double digits sadly but that was a space that had a lot of like architectural interest and everybody I'd bring from like New York or California or anything like that were like they like they like I've had friends still be like I can't wait to go back there. I can't wait to go back there. That place yeah. was so cool. It was so cool. And like, you know, because it's so unique and I think that like a space like that is just really hard to, to kind of top, you know, and it is, uh, it's very sad that it doesn't exist uh, anymore, but that one is kind of like top of the list. I think there's a lot of other, other places that kind of like come in and take over a spot. I mean, even blacksmith took over a very historic gay bar named uh, Mary's, which like they did not keep the mural, but um I mean, so I think, like, but that's to me, a lot of what I look for in a lot of places that are frequent are these places that have been around a long time because they have that texture. And it's just different than going into a new development. It just doesn't have the age. Whereas like you look at a city like New Orleans and it's like, it's all that. Like there's just so little new development. There's so much historic preservation. There's so much turning over of a space time and time and time again that it really starts to patina and you could really sort of feel the history and i think that that stuff it's not it's sort of intangible but it's there and i think that that's the thing that's really disappointing about houston i mean even poison Girl has been around for you know 16 years you know you once you do hit those double digits it's like this becomes really something because it it's it just kind of like you need that that grit a little bit to kind of like really sell it you know, because you walk into somewhere and it's so clean and clinical and they've just, they've got the right chairs and they've got the right, you know, terrazzo and like, you know, like it's good. You're describing half the things in the Heights. Exactly. Yeah, And, but you just don't feel anything about it. You just, you're just there and you're like, okay, well now since my, since I'm not feeling anything with the space, I'm so focused on the food. And then that makes it kind of harder for the food to contextualize itself in the space. Now it's like this isolated thing. Like same with, you know, sort of anything that you're doing, like beverage pairing too. It's, it's like when you're not being embraced by something because it's a little too clinical, I think your focus, like you're looking to the food and the beverage to save you almost. And then that kind of puts an unfair pressure on the food, the, the, the staff or like the service or like all this stuff sort of like is affected in that sort of feeling that you're looking for that you might not even be aware of, you know, like now you're like, well, I don't really feel comfortable in here, but if the food's really good, I'll come back. And then it's like the food's now like trying to save you. And then you're like, that's, that's awkward. You that's know? an uphill
0: battle. That's tough.
1: It is. It very much is. So it's like, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a balance, you know, it's always a balance. But I think that that is sort of what I look for a lot of, or what I feel the most comfortable in is, is like a space that's a little bit more lived in typically.
0: I would imagine that you seek inspiration in places that you visit when you travel, but are there other ways in which you kind of like formulate your understanding of kind of spatial awareness? Like where, where do you go for that?
1: Honestly, I, I, I mean, I, I kind of do my, my normal peruse of, you know, sort of all the usual suspects on the internet, you know, like all the blue chip sort of design websites and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But I think a lot of it for me Honestly, I I find a lot of inspirations in like conversations, like just like this. I think when we tell stories about food and beverage, is really where I try to like spend a lot of time thinking about stuff. And I think that you can solve a lot of problems architecturally and aesthetically and sort of these very like one plus one equals two manners. But what you can't do is recreate a feeling for that somebody had somewhere, you know, when they like describe their like this this perfect thing, right? I think a lot of the time if we're being honest with ourselves like hard pressed like favorite meal, favorite bottle of wine, favorite, you know, whatever, I think you're probably going to think about it in the context in which it was served to you. And I think the thing that like comes through is 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 kind of what we remember about that right and the things and I think that when you're like having this these kind of food and beverage conversations with friends or other industry people or whatever I think there's a lot to be gleaned from the ability to take those feelings and sort of like bring them in in and interpret what comes out through the lens of of creating like not just picking like oh this is a beautiful light fixture or, this is like a great chair but like really thinking about the feeling that someone's going to have sitting there like is this place going to be able to through what I'm able to contribute in this project is this a space that someone's going to have one of those memories at you know is someone going to be able to walk away from this restaurant and this dining room and say wow like that's going to go down as one of the best meals of my life now I can't control what happens during that meal right like but I want to set the stage I guess I think that that's kind of what's important about restaurant design or design is being able to kind of set the stage for something to happen like that. And I think that that's really where I find the most inspiration is just thinking about those times for me and then hearing about them from other people too. And saying like, well, what do you, what was that? Like, you know, where in the city kind of gives you that, or like, you know, like, and, and just kind of getting that, that take, because like, you and I might go to a restaurant and have a great dining experience, but if we're, it's a year later, we might remember very different things, right? And I think that like, that's also, that's, that's a very interesting thing. It's like, I'm able to perceive what I'm able to, but what are you perceiving? Like, what do you remember about that meal, about that space? You know, I think even if we were each individually describing uh, a space in Houston that we've been to a bunch of times, we would do it differently, right? Totally. And so I think that that's, you know, it's, a, that's, that's what's important about it is having those conversations in my mind. That's that's where I find like inspiration because I'm able to now be like, Oh, well, from Chris's perspective, he remembers this. Like, that's so interesting. Cause maybe I had forgotten about that. And like, thinking and then kind of like extrapolating that, that out a little bit. So like,
0: it's funny, like circling back to one of the first things we talked about that restaurant that you love in new Orleans, Lengua Madre, right? Mm-hmm. Like we talked about kind of the purity of the ingredients and kind of like making something so simple and pure, but what do you remember like architecturally or spatially uh, about so Lingua Madre?
1: So Lengua Madre is kind of funny because I've actually been to two other concepts in that space hmm. and what's really, yeah. So there was a restaurant called, Thalia, Thalia. Um, and then that closed. And then there was a pop up for a while in the space that was like actually a little wine store called Patron Saint with like some other like ice cream component. And okay. then Lingo madre came in to that Third space charm, after yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably been, I mean, God knows how mm-hmm. so many concepts over the years, yeah. right? Like, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool space. What was interesting to me is Lingo Mandre changed where the front door is. They, they change where you enter. So that was like kind of interesting to me. I was like, oh, because I mean, they have the, that typical corner storefront thing where you enter on the double doors on the corner. It's like 45, right? Mm-hmm. And like super New Orleanian type of thing. And they took away the entrance and you kind of enter like on their kind of like side entrance door now and kind of walk and they kind of created this like neon hallway that you walk down, which I was like, this is so like in
0: a linear situation, like you have to like enter the space. Like it's
1: a little less like crazy than that, but it's kind of like that. Like there's this like dedicated like hallway that's like, like washed in like neon basically to like, and you walk through it and then kind of out into the restaurant
0: definitely separating the outdoor from the indoor
1: the context of the design of the restaurant especially using a lot of neon in that area and then kind of like the more sort of elegant interior for the space is is kind of like an interesting dynamic i i don't know and like i don't think this is a huge knock i think this like i think this was a a very well done build out to a space where they probably needed to get it done really quickly and, mm. like, it's it's pretty functioning, so I think they did, like, the most, like, the least moves minimal, or, like, possible to kind of create this, like, new feel for a space that everyone's very familiar with. The The chef, and forgive me for not knowing her name, she was so lovely, um, the chef is so focused on, like, her family history, and a lot of the stuff that she serves all her dishes in is is these, like, you know, obviously made by hand in Mexico, sort of, like, dishes and, and plateware and stuff like that, and even like she had like had some hand carved like wooden spoons and like all this stuff I mean really really a lot of texture in the presentation a lot of texture with the meal and I think it would have been interesting to see that really on a grand scale in the space I think that that's that's the only thing that I would say is kind of like at a slight juxtaposition is just that there's not as much without being like over the top you know like doesn't Mm. need to be super corny or anything like that but like in a very like modern and like interesting way taking it from what's going on with the food and the plateware, and just adding just enough of that in the space to kind of really like bring those two things like really close together for how she talked about the food like the dishes she wouldn't make because she could na- never make it as good as like her abuela right like oh yeah stuff like that we're just like and just kind of this really like down home soul searching for you know one's history through this food I think that like, that's my only thing with the space. It was like, if you had a little bit more of that, maybe a little bit more time, maybe a little bit more ability in a different building that, you know, who knows what the sort of constraints were that they moved into, but that could have been a very interesting dynamic as well.
0: Totally. My personal question for you is which leg of the how long gone tour are you going to?
1: Oh man, so this is a interesting. Um, I have to decide if I want to try to make the Nashville show or not. I am.
0: There's only one answer to cl- that. You you have to go.
1: I know that the thing is, we move into a new uh, our new place down the street here, like a couple days before then, and I'm like, is this going to be just a little crazy? But uh, I I literally was looking at tickets yesterday to make it up there, so uh, that is tentatively what I will be trying to do. Cause I think it is an essential thing to catch a podcast on tour, especially oh, one do represented it. by uh Jag Jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and when you go, I'll, I'll Venmo you so that you can snag some swag for me along the way. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I, I got you. No problem. All right.
0: There we go. If people want to learn more about your work um, with Garrison design office or your personal work, like where can they find you on the worldwide web?
1: you can find me on Instagram that has absolutely nothing about my work on it, uh, at L E underscore M A S T E R. And, uh, as far as my own personal work, I am probably the world's worst person at doing a portfolio, um, or keeping track of anything. So I don't, I think my website is not even been online anymore. But uh <laughs> is there a Tumblr
0: that people can find somewhere?
1: A very old one that's outdated. Just follow me on Instagram. Sometimes I post some stuff that's related to architecture and food and beverage are pretty much the two things that I post oh, yeah. almost exclusively. So if it's not that, um, you'll find me kicking around New Orleans somewhere. Um, and that's about it. Um, but yeah, that's all she wrote.
0: I love it. Cool. Thank you for not acknowledging my my missing tooth. Took a bite out of a baguette the other day and my like dental implant like came out and I was like, this is great. Now I need to find a
1: dentist here in France. This will be awesome. But uh, I think that's probably like the most French nightmare to happen. But I, I think the dental stuff is probably a little easier over there than it is hopefully. in the states. Maybe I have,
0: I have French health insurance, which hopefully counts for something. But
1: we'll see. Well, best of luck in the navigating the uh, French healthcare system.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens. But cheers, man! I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Oh, absolutely!
1: Thanks for having me on. It was a, it was a great time. Cool.
0: Cheers, man. And that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. You can stream every episode of by the glass wherever you get your audio content. That's Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, really wherever you want. And that show that we talked about, How Long Gone, is an amazing show. Jason, aka Them Jeans, if you're listening, hop on the pod. Let's get you here to talk about some natural wine. All right, that's all I got for today. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon.